Well, good morning, family. Thank you. Five of you respond to family. That's not good. What's up, family? Okay. All right. If you're here, you're family. It's like Olive Garden, but better. We don't got breadsticks, but we got the Holy Spirit. So, come on. Man, I'm so excited to hobble up here and, uh, and bring the word to you today. Uh, it has actually been three months since I've been up here. Uh, ironically, on that Sunday before service, uh, my good friend, my, my hip-hop buddy, Marcus, uh, right here, Marcus and I listen to rap music together because it's weird. It doesn't look right when this guy's going down the road listening to hip-hop in his... Well, I haven't listened to anything in my car for a while, but it's been three months since I've driven a car. I'm ready to drive something, y'all. Road trip, music blasting, let's go. But that Sunday, um, Marcus prayed for me before I spoke, and, uh, and, he's <laughs> and this was the, the... I say the joke, but it actually was powerful. But he said, God is bringing, in you, bringing into you a season of rest. This was on Sunday. Tuesday at a volleyball practice where I coached, I blew out my knee. Tore, menisca, tore the patella tendon and the meniscus. Had surgery March 14th. The night it happened, I, I texted Marcus, and I said, when you had the word about a season of rest, did you get a picture of what that looked like, because this is what I pictured season of rest. I was thinking vacation, we're going somewhere, this is going to be great. Well, I did have a vacation on my couch. And, uh, and to kind of tie into where we're heading today, it's amazing that just because we picture something that we think is going to be a certain way does not mean that God is not working through that situation. Just because we think my rest was going to look like me sitting on the beach with some type of fancy drink with an umbrella or not on my couch, you know. It doesn't mean God didn't have something in mind. So God's idea of restoration and rest for me look completely different than what I thought because season of rest, I'm like, oh, that's cool. I, I, I accept that. I receive that word. And then we got it. But it didn't come in the form that I thought it would, but God knew exactly what needed to happen. And so God's been speaking in a way to me through this process and through this time that it's just been a really cool time. I teach at middle school. I was able to go back to my class in the last week, week or so. And a lot, right? Not my couch. And, uh, and so it was just my kids in my class were like, so how much video games did you play? I'm like, I didn't touch it. What's wrong with you? You've been at home for two and a half months. You didn't touch your Xbox? Nope. How many shows did you binge watch? None. They're like, you've got issues, Mr. Rondo. And there was just things in that moment, you know, like when you've got 50,000 shows that you can choose from and nothing looks good. That's because you're there for a different purpose. Wasn't there to watch TV. Oh, sure, I watch some sports shows. I watch some sports because I was hoping to move. Not that day. 
But we're going to dive in today. Thank you, Jeremy, for reading our scripture for today. Powerful word. So we're continuing on our, our series all about the invitation. Uh, and for the weeks leading up to Pentecost, we're looking at how Jesus' followers were invited into his kingdom. There's an invitation for all of us. So what Jeremy read just kind of sets the tone for where we're heading today. But you may still need to know some of the backstory just a little bit. Because this message is all about Peter's um, journey, his invitation to restoration. And you're probably thinking, but what is the power of this story? What is the power of Peter's restoration all about? So we need to know why he needed to be restored. So about two weeks earlier, Jesus had the Passover meal with his disciples. And at the meal, amongst many other sermons that happened that night, Jesus told Peter that he would deny him three times before the rooster crowed the next morning. Now imagine sitting there and you are like Jesus' disciple. You are like following him. You are all in. And then he says, oh, by the way, Marcus, tomorrow? Yeah, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. No. Not me. I would never do such a thing, Lord. I would not deny you. And it's interesting because Peter said, I would never do that, Lord. You're Jesus. I'm not. I'm going to follow you. And I was reminded of a quote when it just came to that, he would deny him three times. And I shared this quote at our Wednesday night here in the sanctuary uh, as we, we, kind of, we dove into God's word together. And this quote, um, and I looked up the quote, the guy's name who said it, and I totally forgot it. So I didn't say it, but you can quote me, and I'll hashtag you the guy later. But he said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world are people who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. I don't know if that stung for you at all, but I heard that quote first as the beginning of a DC Talk song back in the 90s. If you don't know who DC Talk is, you're missing out. That's where Toby Mac got his start. There was DC before there was Toby Mac. So uh, when I think about this idea of denying him, that stings. That stings. And I'm getting told of this by Jesus. Oh, by the way, tomorrow before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me. So I started thinking, man, how many times have I done that? In the way I speak, in the way I operate, in the way I, you know what I'm saying? How many times have I denied God to work in my life due to my own pride or agenda? Just saying. Here's the thing what happened next. But then Jesus was arrested. And this happens. So in John 18, verses 15 to 18, and then verses 25 to 27, it says, Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did, one of the, uh, as did another of the disciples. That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. 
The woman asked Peter, you're not one of the man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I am not. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire, warming himself, they asked him again, you're not one of his disciples, are you? <laughs> no. No, he denied it. No, I am not. But one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, someone's bitter. It's okay that your got put back on. It's okay. Didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it, and immediately a rooster crowed. Reality check. Hours later, Jesus died on a cross, and Peter had lost his chance to make it right. So think in that moment, the emotions that Peter was dealing with. No, no, Jesus, not me, not me. I'm just here getting cozy by the fire. Weren't you? Uh-uh. Aren't you? Mm-mm. Do you? Uh-uh. Caw-caw! <laughs> that was more like a crow than a roaster, but you know what I get. You know what I mean. We'll call it a crowster. So he'd been given these chances, and all of a sudden, oh, no. Good news is that there was a third day, and Jesus rose from the dead. And he even appeared to this, the, the, the disciples several times. So, now, in my humanity, if I knew I had did something that Jesus said I would do and I did it and I didn't have a chance, I'm not sure if I would be celebrating his resurrection or afraid of it. In my flesh, I'd be like, okay, Jesus is back. <laughs> That's all. Oh, I'm thinking about a rooster. You know what I mean? So it's where my brain goes sometimes. It kind of goes to these places where it's like, what was he feeling? Because, you know, sometimes, you know, when you're talking to people and you see somebody coming out of the corner, your eye is that person. And you're like, I don't want to talk to them. I know y'all won't do that because y'all are like super spiritual and wonderful and awesome and flawless. But when I do it, it's like, oh, okay. Like I've got those few students that I have that I know they're going to come and here come some questions. One day I hope they related to the Bible because <laughs> it's Bible class. But you know what? I'm just going to inject love and patience and kindness and patience and patience into this conversation. It's going to be great. What's interesting about these conversations that Jesus had with the disciples as he, after he was resurrected is that there's never any mention of him ever having a conversation with Peter or calling him out. There's never a mention of him saying, Peter, a word. 
You know, like getting called to the principal's office. Oh, here it comes. Right? I've never felt that more than like three times, but it's all under the blood. See, Jesus showed up when they were all together, except Thomas, except Thomas, and then he told them to have peace. He came back a week later just to make sure that Thomas would see his wounds and then believe. But he never said anything directly to Peter. So kind of like, this is awkward silence. Do I, do I say something to you? Do, you know those things, you know, it's like, like, it's like with me with Facebook. I'll sit there and I'll look at somebody's response and I've got the whole response typed out and I am like, oh, I am so deleting that because I don't got time for that. So it's like that, do I send this? Do I say this? Do I do anything with this? And so we just let it be. He denied his friend. He denied his friend. And now his friend just came, came back from the grave just to ignore him. That'd be a hard pill to swallow in the moment, wouldn't it? That'd be a hard pill to swallow. So no wonder he decided to go fishing. <laughs> it's like, well, if we're not doing anything, let's go fishing. So in John 21, verse 3, Peter says, I'm going fishing. He's not saying, I'm going to go relax by the lake and take in some sun and have a season of rest by the lake in the shade. He was saying that he's returning to his previous way of life. He was saying, I'm just going to go back to what I know. I'm heading back there. Do you, have you, or, or maybe you've known somebody that has ever quit a job because they assumed that they were going to get fired anyways? I did that. Little quick backstory. I taught uh, a Bible class, freshman Bible class, for seven alumnuses of my class right there. They made it. Another one over here. I got you, Bryce. And um, so I taught bi freshman Bible class for seven years. And I think my curriculum changed six times. <laughs> I think I was able to repeat my curriculum one time. And then the last year, I made my own. And so, and I was ready, you know, I'm ready. Okay, I'm kind of excited. Okay, what are we going to do next year? Oh, my gosh, I'm so excited. And so I went in for my evaluation at the end of the year. So for six and a half years, I've been told that you're doing a great job. You're engaging with the students. I love the content. Way to go. I go in for my evaluation in year seven. In a nutshell, Here's the scenario. Mark, you're terrible. You don't relate well to students. And we'd actually appreciate it if you taught the Bible more academically and less relationally. How about no? Word. 
And I'm like, explain to me how to do that. Because I'm pretty sure Jesus wasn't worried about academics. He was worried about the relationships. Because as a wise person, and I think it was Bryce that said, everything bends around relationships. Everything bends around relationships. People do not care what you know until they know that you care. So we're called to be loving. We're called to be caring. We're called to be. And so at that point, instead of being fired, I chose to resign. Because I didn't meet, apparently, an invisible standard that I didn't know was there. So I resigned. But God always has a plan. So I resigned, and I said, okay. I had the support of my wife, too. I just didn't. Well, honey, I did a thing. <laughs> Funny story. <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> no, it was like one of those stories where you just felt defeated. You felt like, man, I... For seven years, I poured into this. And to be told, you're not that good. I'm like, okay. So it was one of those moments where you're like, okay. And, I f and there was such a peace in my heart to just walk away. So that day, the principal came in my, my classes, and he announced that I would not be returning. And a lot of my students started crying. And they started having one of those moments. Maybe some of them were rejoicing just under their breath, which is possible. Because I called a lot of stuff out in kids' lives. <laughs> it was great. So if I knew that this was coming, I'm just going to step down because I know God is bigger and better than this situation and this scenario in my life. Guess what next phase was in my life at that point? I started talking to some people about a thing called Life Church. Now, it wasn't Life Church at the time, but it was something, something that God had put on our heart, and then all of a sudden, well, here we are. So even though restoration may look different than what you think it is, God is always at work, right? His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are better than our thoughts, higher than ours. It's that whole thing. We have to trust completely in knowing that the restoration is coming. So Peter was exactly doing that. He was resigning from the school of disciples. He was like, I'm out. I, we're not communicating. We're not talking. I'm just going to walk away. Because in his mind, check that, in his mind, Jesus made it clear that he's not welcome. So when Jesus shows up on the shore, here's Peter's John, like Jeremy had read, they're out in the boat, they're fishing, and John says, it's the Lord. It's the Lord on the beach. Look, he's right there. Paraphrase that. Peter, here's your chance to get some time with Jesus while we're all in the boat. You may not walk on the water, but you can swim. That's a paraphrase. Might be in the message. I don't know. But Peter sees the chance to get some alone time with Jesus. So rather than jumping, just waiting for, okay, we're coming. 
don't know if you've ever rode a boat, but it's not as if you're there and like that. Coming. Listen, by the time they got in, Jesus had time to make breakfast. Okay? So we're coming with the fishes. Now he's making his way into shore. Instead of waiting for that to come, Peter just jumped in the water and swam. He said, I am not waiting. I am seizing my opportunity. Jump in. How many of us are being called to that this morning? Jesus is on the shore and like, you've been kind of waiting to row into shore. And it's just time to jump in and get after it. He is waiting. And restoration is that close. See, Peter swam ahead because he didn't want to get in another group situation, so maybe he would be ignored. So we're going to have me some one-on-one time. One-on-one time with Jesus. Now, Jesus is on the shore watching Peter jump, on the, uh, Peter jump in the water, and Jesus is probably going, huh, what is he doing? Huh. Do you think Jesus didn't know what was about to happen? Of course he did, because he's Jesus. Jesus' plan was this the whole time. Wait, not yet. No, we're not, we're not going to talk yet. No. Uh. Now. And this is his moment, and Peter jumped in and seized it. Because here's what Peter was, not, was inviting, here's what Jesus was inviting Peter into. The first thing he was inviting him into was restored relationship. Restored relationship. Jesus went to the shore where Peter was fishing to send a very clear message. The invitation into being restored had been there all along. It was always there. I'm right here when you're ready to talk to me. But that would have been an awkward moment, right? We, we as humans don't do well with awkward. We'd rather avoid something for months than as opposed to just have a conversation to be done in 10 minutes. Just saying. A lot of things would be fixed without a text message. I know it's easier to be warriors with the keyboard, but nothing beats face-to-face, right? And that's scriptural, too. I know. Crazy thought. And that way, Jesus set up the moment for Peter was also part of this restoration. And Jesus invited Peter around what? What was on shore that Jesus was hanging around? He was, he was actually hanging around a fire, a charcoal fire. Charcoal fire. Hmm. I think this may play into something. There are, according to my knowledge, and in the conversation I had with Pastor Tim, there's only three places in Scripture where it talks about a charcoal fire. Peter owns two of them. The third one is actually in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. When Isaiah, when Isaiah says, I am a man of unclean lips, then an angel took a coal from the fire to cleanse his lips. So we have this idea that everything around this charcoal fire, this idea is where restoration and healing happens. But see, we, we equate fire with purification. Like burning away the old so we can make room for the new. 
I grew up in a small farming community. Very small. Like a thousand people, maybe eleven hundred dollar eleven hundred people with pets. Maybe. If you include cows, like five thousand. But every year you would have those moments where the farmers would come through and do their harvest. They would take the grain and they would separate the grain from the chaff or whatever wasn't there and it got spit out the back. And some of the old school farmers would actually use their big pole rake thingies and they would actually make this big pile. And then all the old chaff they would actually burn. And so it was, for them, it was just getting rid of the junk that they don't need. We have for us in our life, maybe we need that purification fire to come into our hearts and burn away the things that don't need to be there so that that charcoal fire can be in our, that we could sit around with Jesus around the charcoal fire and be restored to what he has for us. Right? So don't, don't belittle fire time. Don't belittle the fireside chats because life happens around the fireside chats. See, charcoal fire seems to be a symbol for cleansing people who have said things that require restoration. When Peter sat with Jesus at the fire, his lips were cleansed from the things that he had said, and his relationship with Jesus was being restored. The same invitation is available to us. If you're feeling far from Jesus, you will need to initiate the conversation. But he is ready and willing to meet you because he has never stopped loving you. He thinks of you and smiles. Ephesians 2.10 says that you are his masterpiece. Masterpiece, that's one of a kind. There's only one of you. There's only one of you. God does not create knockoffs. There's one of you. So maybe in the situation that you're feeling in or how your heart is feeling, you feel like a knockoff. You don't feel like the masterpiece. But God is calling his masterpiece to restoration. Right? Because God, I remember hearing this in Sunday school. I think there was a song for it too. I'm not going to sing it because I don't remember it and that would be weird. But it's like God don't make junk. And God don't make mistakes. And there was something else. I don't remember. But that's enough. Right? Because it's true. And here's the thing. We will have to face what we have done that leaves us feeling far from him. We will have to face it. It's like as a kid when you had to admit that you broke grandma's vase when it fell off the thing. Or as a child, I, for some obscure reason, I thought it would be cool to go into my grandma's bedroom. And I, saw this, I always saw this canister on her bed. And I was like, I wondered what that was all the time. And so I opened it up not knowing what it was. And the whole thing came off. And it was actually my grandma's dusting powder. And I dusted myself with all of it. So looked like Casper the ghost walking around the house. And nobody knew I had done it. So I thought it was important for me to walk into the living room where everybody was, covered literally head to toe with this powder, and look at my grandma and say, I didn't touch your powder. (laughs) 
okay. And what did my grandma do? She laughed. And then I had to go take another bath. Because I smelled, I don't even remember what the smell was, but it smelled like my grandma's house. And so it's like, we all have to own up to the things that we've done. And you may not have white powder all over you, but there may be something else that needs to be dealt with. I may not need to take a bath. So Jesus was inviting Peter into a stored relationship. Another thing that Jesus was also inviting him to was to remember his calling. Think back to the passage that Jeremy read for us. Peter and his friends were fishing all night and caught nothing. These guys fished for a living and caught nothing. Jesus, so, <laughs> Jesus shows up and says, and I love this, you don't have any fish, do you? No. Then he tells them, just put the net on the other side of your boat. What, is there a wall? Like, what are we on? Some type of divide? So just think, I mean, as far as I know, in every movie that I've watched, I think fish go underneath the boat fairly well. So here's Jesus saying, I just start out the other side. All right, all right, all right. It's Jesus. It may work. Who knows? <laughs> it's like, just do it, man. Just do it. You'll be fine. So they throw the nets out on the other side of the boat, and all of a sudden, they're catching fish. It's like, Eureka! And I, I wonder if Jesus just ever... How much longer? How much, like, how much longer do I have to deal with this? We're almost, okay, we're almost there. Okay. Like, for real. I'm just like, oh, Lord, thank God that we weren't Jesus, right? Because I'm like, yeah, I'm out. Never mind. See ya. I've been telling you to do these things ever since I showed up, and you still second-guess me. Just put the net on the other side of the boat. And all of a sudden, oh, there's fish. It's amazing when we just take the moments and the steps to listen to what Jesus has to say. And then stuff happens. That way we've been too prideful. I don't know, I don't, he's not going to do that. I'm praying tomorrow when I show up for physiotherapy, they take off this brace, and I'm like, I'm just going to run out. In Jesus' name. Because my wife is tired of driving everybody around. My wife is a rock star. She is a rock star. Whenever you see my wife, if you see my wife, she's in kids today because that's how, how amazing she is, just give her a hug and say, we understand. Because she had a third kid for the last <laughs> three months. It's like, yes, yeah, so I'll take you to school. I mean, thanks, mommy. Yeah, it was, it was ridiculous. Here it is. 
This is why this story seems familiar in this moment because it's a callback to the first time that Peter and Jesus met. Remember the first time I said to do this? Try it again. And it worked. We see the story that's told in Luke chapter 5. Jesus is preaching in Peter's boat in the Sea of Galilee. He told Peter, go out into deeper water and throw out his nets. Peter didn't want to at first because, you know, it's Peter. But then he agreed. And when he did go, they caught so many fish that their boat began to sink. Then Luke writes, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught, and, they were, and there were others with him. His partners, James and John, sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon and said, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Left everything. Because they saw the thing that happened in their lives that they've been waiting for. So Peter was called to follow Jesus from a life of fishing. And it was while he was fishing that, that Jesus showed up to remind him of his calling. Jesus showed up and said, remember the time that I said, you will now be fishers of men? We're back. So there was a restoration conversation that was beginning to happen in that moment. The second time, Peter tried to convince Jesus to leave because he was a sinner. Well, and the second time, Peter really was a sinner. He denied Jesus. But there was no way he was missing out on the invitation. There's no question that Peter messed up. I mean, how many people need to be told when we mess up? I don't because it's like, I know. You know. And so we should take it seriously. He took it, Jesus took it very seriously, and so should we. But Jesus does not think that our mess up, it messes up our ability to be able to serve him. It doesn't mess that up. We still have the ability to serve him with all of our hearts. So the invitation is for us to remember our own calling. The first calling for every one of us is the same as Peter's, to follow Jesus, even when it means that you leave your comfort behind. That's what it means. But as we follow Jesus, he will always also give us gifts, like the Holy Spirit, and to step into our unique kingdom contribution. I love the way that's said. I think that was Pastor Dennis Easter that uses that phrase a lot, isn't it? I love it. Unique kingdom. Because we're all masterpieces. We're all unique. We're all different. We all have, Imagine if we all were saying, oh, we're all doing the same thing. We are, but we're all doing it differently. Going to all the world and preach the gospel. Making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The whole Great Commission thing. But everybody's way that they do it is different. The way I do it is different than Marcus's. The way Marcus does it is different than Eric's. Everybody's way of reaching the world is different, but the common goal is to bring people into his kingdom. That's a, that's a great, it's a great commission. It's not just an okay commission. That's great. Because, you know, that's what it's got. There's a reason why it's great. 
And speaking of the calling, Jesus was not done inviting Peter into his restoration yet. Peter had invited, Jesus had invited Peter to restore relationship, to remember his calling. And finally, we see that Jesus invites Peter to renewed purpose. To renew, renewed purpose. Jesus continues the story like this. John 21, 15 to 17. It says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of man, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. He said, then feed my sheep. I don't know if you've ever had a child in the back seat on a road trip that asks the, mm, the wonderful question, are we there yet? Are we there yet? No, no, we're still driving. We haven't stopped. <laughs> are we there yet? Mm -mm. Are we there yet? No. Our countenance changes after third time, right? It's like, don't make me stop this car. Now I'm going to stop it. <laughs> that was my dad used to say. So you see, kind of like when Peter was hurt, it's, I don't know if it's hurt, frustration, whatever. He's like, of course I love you. I just said it. Jesus was very intentional in his restoration in this moment. See, Peter denied Jesus around a fire. So he restored Peter around a fire. Because facing our brokenness is an important step in our healing. We cannot change but that we are not willing to acknowledge. We acknowledge our brokenness before him. He is able to restore and heal and make better. But we have to be willing to take that step. Peter denied Jesus three times. So Jesus asked Peter three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Other teachings can get into the details of each of the three questions that Jesus asked. But we should pay attention to the one detail. In the first calling, Jesus was inviting Peter to be fishers of men. Now, Jesus is calling Peter to be something new, to be something different. Jesus is not simply calling to be a follower. He was calling him to be a leader. Difference, right? Bit of a difference. Peter would go from this moment and become the founding apostle of the New Testament church. On Pentecost, we would preach the he would preach the gospel, and 3,000 people would get saved. And later, he found what many believe is the first Christian church in Rome. Now, you might be thinking, well, I'm not an apostle, so this does not apply to me. And you'd be right. Because there's a special calling on Peter's life as one of the founding fathers of the church. But, newsflash, you're also wrong. Remember, we like being wrong, right? <laughs> because Jesus' invitation to reward purpose is extended to us and to renewed purpose. The reward is getting to follow Jesus, 
but he wants to renew our purpose. Jesus invites all his disciples to embrace a renewed purpose, and we call that purpose the Great Commission. The purpose of making the disciples is to learn how to make disciples. Did you get that? The purpose of making disciples is to learn how to make disciples. We have a phrase, we want to make disciple-making disciple-makers. If that sounds confusing, let's talk. When you respond to Jesus' invitation into his kingdom, you are given this same purpose. Just like there is no such, no such sin from when Jesus will not restore, there is no such thing as a person Jesus does not call to his purpose. We're all called to his purpose. And Peter responded well to his new purpose. He took on the role of feeding and caring for Jesus' sheep for the rest of his life. And he encourages us even today through his writing in Scripture. For example, Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2.9, You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You may feel like you're in a fog, but he's called you out of that into his light. There is no fogginess in his presence. There is no darkness because darkness cannot exist in the presence of light. If you're in a completely dark room, one match completely dispels the darkness. It does not take a huge torch to get rid of darkness, but it only takes one little light. And it changes the complexity, it changes the dynamic in the room. 1 Peter 3.17 says, remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. 1 Peter 4.1, so, so, wow. so then since Christ off, suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude that he had. And be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. Okay. And finally, 1 Peter 4, 12 to 14 says this, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you were going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed, for the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. It's almost as if Peter took his new purpose seriously. He, all, he took it to heart. The question is for us today, do you take your own invitation seriously? And as we begin to, as Pastor Tim says, land the plane, what does restoration look like, you, look like for you today? What does restoration look like? What would it look like if we initiated that conversation with Jesus to lead it to restoration in our lives? What would that look like? What would it look like for you to seize every opportunity 
that you can to talk to Jesus and for him to restore you. Maybe you need a campfire chat. See, once you are restored, just like Peter, once you're restored, you are reinstated. But we cannot go around carrying the things that weigh us down. So we have to come to a point to where we want to say, I initiate my conversation with Jesus. I want you to take this from me because I cannot carry this anymore. And Jesus doesn't say, it's about time. <laughs> and maybe he is. But he's also sitting there with arms open wide saying, I'm right here. The only people that move away are us. Jesus has been right there the whole time. He did not move. He did not waver. How many times has Jesus asked if you loved him? And what was your response? Do I love Jesus for who he is or just what he does for me? If we look at Peter's example, he jumped out of the boat and swam to Jesus in pursuit of restoration. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think we just need to jump out of the boat. And you may, you may not think it's anything major, but if you thought about it just now, it is. Because it's something that needs to, that needs to be fixed, that like Jesus needs to just take away. The invitation to, rest, to restoration is here today. Even though this was a long time ago that this happens, the good news is that Jesus is very much still in the restoration business today. And no matter what you carry today, can be gone today. But now restoration isn't just an immediate thing all the time. It's a process because now, okay, I've said to Jesus, now I'm going to follow you. <gasps> What's next? And you wait for your marching orders. And he'll give them. Trust me. See, another thing as we do as believers is to bring others into the restoration flow. We had these cards in the back of the seats, and you'll see them on the back of your, the seats in front of you. There's invitation cards about bringing people to church. Not because that we have empty seats in here, but because we live in a valley that is crying out and in desperate need for restoration that only the love and the presence of Jesus can bring. And guess what? You're all hired. Welcome to the family. That's what he's calling us to do. So as we wrap up today, I want to be able to pray for you. And if you're, and if you're not sure about this whole restoration process, what does that all mean? What does that mean to fully become restored in Jesus, to, to communicate with him, to make those steps towards him? I'm going to have my friend, can I, I'm just going to call you out, Marcus, all right? Marcus, Mar Marcus does not like praying with people, but if you want to, he will. Are you kidding? Marcus is the most faithful prayer warrior that I know. And so Marcus is going to make his way to this wall back there, and um, the, light w the lit wall back there. If you want to talk, I'll make myself available. I'll be around. I'll hobble back to that wall. <laughs> I'll hang out there. Do not leave today if you're in this process of, 
I need to be restored from something. Do not leave without somebody praying with you today. Don't leave. Okay? Because this is far too important for us to just, whatever. There's next Sunday. Mm Mm-mm. Today is the day. Restoration is a process, so you may as well start now, right? Can I pray for you today? God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the life within its pages. I thank you, God, for what you say to us. And, Father, I just thank you for this example, Father. I thank you that even it doesn't matter what we go through and what we do and what we have done, that you are right there beside us. Even though we take a million steps away, it's only one back to you. And so we pray, God, that you would just cause us to be a people that would, that would hunger for restoration. That, Father, that if there's things in our lives that need to, be, need to be kind of weeded out, and just like the farmers, they need to be separated and burnt with the, the purification fire that you offer. Father, we pray that you would just make those things aware in our lives, that we would no longer hang on to them, but, God, that we would just let it go, and we would lay it at your feet. And we would come away restored people and that we would embrace your purpose in our lives. We thank you, Lord Jesus, and we love you so, so much. In Jesus' name, amen.